0: Part two of this wonderful podcast is about the Criterion channel.
1: Mm Mm-hmm. Damn right. Uh, For anyone unfamiliar with the Criterion collection and or Criterion channel, uh, first off, I'm sorry for the pitiful life that you live. Um, (laughs) But... (laughs) (laughs) Um, Criterion is a a wonderful uh, film preservation company that... uh, is dedicated to preserving, restoring, and making available to the public uh, films, uh, foreign, uh, contemporary, classic, uh, artistic, cinema, really all shapes and forms of film, but just that they consider to have some sort of cultural significance. Um, You know, much like a museum or, you know, like the Smithsonian or, you know, uh, whatever, like sort of curates, you know, these are like culturally significant works. So they need to be preserved for future generations and all that type of stuff. Um, They more so do this with, uh, you know, films specifically. And so they really run the gamut. I mean, they do stuff from like, you know, the the early days of, of filmmaking, the early 1900s. Uh, all the way up to you know recent releases like they're they're going to be the you know official release of uh, this movie Portrait of a Lady on Fire, oh, which yeah. uh, was just playing in well until you know theaters became uh, you know an antiquated business model. <laughs> uh, it was it was in theaters you know at the time that that everything shut down, and uh, luckily I was able to see it. Uh, it, was, it had been playing for a few weeks because it's been sort of like an art house hit. Uh, and it's an excellent film. But, yeah, so your point is, though, they, you know, they do everything from, like, restoring these old films all the way up to releasing new movies that they feel, you know, already have proven sort of their, like, significance within the larger uh, medium of film, you know. And uh, that they have some some importance to that uh, glorious uh, history and tradition of the, the medium. But first and foremost, what I want to say is just, honestly, anything that's on this service is worth watching um okay. uh, I'm, I'm not just like you know trying to fluff them up because i'm obviously like a total fanboy uh which i am but you know it really like even movies that they've put out that i even if i didn't like them there was something that i got out of the experience you know like it, it mm-hmm. either historically or you know an idea or just some sort of like small bit of inspiration or you know some story element or you know acting choice that i really really liked you know, I still understood like why it had kind of been selected, and um, okay. you know why it's considered to have some sort of you know cultural or artistic value. Um, so mm-hmm. yeah, so my point is is like I don't think you can really go wrong here. Um, you know, if you're if you're looking to watch something like you know in that realm, then that's what you're going to find here. And uh, I think mm-hmm. they're all you know uh, of value in that regard. So. Um, so first and foremost, one that uh they just added up there recently is this movie called The Cabinet of Dr. Caligari. Um, this is a Ooh, yeah, this one actually, this is a super famous movie. Um, it's from 1920. Uh, it was directed by uh, Robert Vine, uh, German man, so that's W I E N E. Um, but Yeah, uh, Cabinet Dr. Caligari, really stunning visual. It started a whole, you know, uh, um, movement, I guess, of filmmaking called German Expressionism, uh, which probably the most example is the movie Metropolis by Fritz Lang, um, which, yeah, is spectacular. If you've never seen that, seek it out immediately. What What a fucking movie. Um, but cabinet of Dr. Caligari was the first one where they really, I mean, it, it goes like full surreal. Like the way that all the sets were built was like completely stylized to have like weird geometry and play all sorts of like perception effects. Like, you know, kind of MC Escher esque, um, you know, like shadows painted directly into the sets so they could use that to help with like the light drop off and really shape
0: oh, okay, and sculpt
1: okay. the light and the way that the light interplayed with the set, the way that they wanted it to look and give it this really, really striking you know kind of visual identity and um so yeah enormous nobody had ever done this with film before this is like some of the stuff we've been talking about with watching older movies like if you want to see the movie that like did it first like so many things the cabinet of dr caligari did first um and uh you know it's it's a really cool movie too and it's you know uh, again a lot of people you know have this preconception that older movies are, are much tamer um, you know, don't have those kind of like visceral thrills that they want, but this is one that definitely is very much proven wrong. It's about like a, you know, like a, a, doctor who uses this like sleepwalking circus performer to like murder people, um, by like manipulating mm-hmm. his somnambulism to his own ends and shit. And, uh, so yeah, so it exists in this like waking dream world kind of state. And that's where a lot of like he, you know, this, this, uh, stylistic, decision-making comes from uh, as a way of of, you know interpreting all of that for film but I remember
0: seeing this at uh when I was at UIC in like an art class oh nice yeah and a lot of uh you know a lot of uh, I know the way I look at like a lot of or even some of the ways that you'll sort of like contextualize a lot of the a lot of the um art movies or whatever that are on criterion is um is like I'll relate them to like Uh, a a director or an artist like today that's like mainstream that like clearly you can see a definite like through line of influence in their work. Mm -hmm. So this one, this like movie, you know, was always like kind of sold to me as like the Tim Burton influence. Like if you were a fan of early, early, early Tim Burton stuff before all of the dumb CGI, like cabinet of Dr. Caligari, like you can see like the root of that. Some somewhere there
1: for sure. Yeah, no, that's a really, really good comparison. Um, and, uh, yeah. And, and also, you know, this is widely considered like the first horror movie. Um, oh, okay. So cool. yeah. Right. If like, if you're a horror genre fan, this is like, you know, kind of a know your history moment and, uh, <laughs> nice. you know, cause it's, it's crazy how much, you know, there's stuff in this movie that are still like techniques that were developed in this film for that type of storytelling. You know, I'm sure yeah. at the time, nobody called it a horror film because nobody knew what the fuck a horror film was. It yeah, didn't right. exist as a classification. <laughs> so Um, but you know, so many of the techniques that were developed just to tell the story that he was trying to tell with this movie, um, are things that are still, you know, staples of the genre to this day. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, it's really amazing. Of course, like, you know, the techniques have gotten a little bit like cleaner, more refined or, you know, just in general, but, uh, but yeah, no, it's, it's really, uh, really kind of shocking to see how, you know, in some ways how little has really changed. You know, in terms yeah. of the like the core, like vital parts of of the cinematic language, you know, that sort mm-hmm. of things that like people kind of figured out a while ago. Um, and uh, yeah, it's really really cool. Um, but that's a that's a great movie, and I think a great entry point. It's you know, it's not too long. It's like I said, it's dark. It's visually like really striking because you know it's a silent film. Um, I was just about
0: to ask because it's a silent film. Yeah, yeah.
1: So this was this was pre pre talky. Um. 1920 yeah
0: yeah that's also just really cool to see that like i mean i don't know uh, like well no i do know just seeing how old the movie is like 1920 yeah is where this movie's from 100, it's
1: a hundred years ago this yeah, movie was made it's yeah
0: insane
1: a hundred fucking years ago this movie was made like it's <laughs> it, just wild man um but uh, but yeah, uh, really uh, mind blowing stuff. It's it's easy to see why you know people as contemporary as Tim Burton you know are still continue to be influenced by this film, right? Because um, right. there still kind of is like really nothing like it. Um, but yeah, mm. you know it's it's got murder, it's got intrigue, it's got like really amazing visuals. Like you know this is a, I think a good stepping stone, especially silent film in particular. I know it's a big barrier for a lot of people. Um, just not even having any dialogue mm-hmm. or anything. But, you know, there's there's something really, like, pure and wonderful about, like, purely being pulled into the visual storytelling component of it, that you can't even rely on something like right, dialogue right. to really push your narrative forward. You have to do it all visually. And, um, you know, to see people pull it off to such, you know, success and with such aplomb <laughs> in, uh, <laughs> in, as in this film uh, is really, it's it's a thrill for me. You know, I really, really enjoy it. Nice. So, hopefully some other people feel the same way. Uh yeah, moving along, uh next I dropped in uh a totally surrealist movie uh called okay. The Exterminating Angel uh which is by a uh Spanish gentleman named Luis Buñuel. What um, is it again,
0: The Exterminated?
1: The Exterminating Angel.
0: The exterminating angel. Okay.
1: Yeah. And, uh, yeah, man, like this guy, Bunuel is just fucking awesome. I I love this dude. He's just, I don't know the way he does high art with like a fucking smirking sense of humor the entire time (laughs) is just, Uh it's just awesome. Uh, yeah, I really like, I just dig his vibe. It's like, you can, he's kind of like, it's, he's not taking himself too seriously. But he's also not okay. like uh, he, he's also not cutting the legs out from you know the 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 power of the punch that he's throwing. So okay. like he manages to do like really scathing kind of like social satire or like artistic commentary on you know things in the world, but just manages to have like a sense of humor about it too. He he reminds me a lot of like Yoder, uh, Alejandro Yodorowski as well.
0: Okay, I think right. and That's just kind good. of like okay. his
1: his attitude and demeanor. Um, you know, Uh he's like, he's just like an eternal prankster. And like, sometimes his pranks are like, you know, these artistically coherent kind of like brilliant commentaries in society. And sometimes they're just like, nah, man, I'm just fucking with you. (laughs) And, you know, part of the fun is trying to like kind of decode what's what. Um, but, but again, he's, he's just such a skilled artist that, uh, uh, he never loses the thread, you know, it never becomes so indulgent that like, you're, you just feel like you're kind of like. Sitting in the middle of a void, you know, where you, you don't mm. know what's what or what you're even supposed to care about or anything like that. It's like he, he manages to balance all those things and, like, keep it entertaining, but also keep it, like, very artsy and, like, bold and constantly okay. sort of shocking, you know? But anyway, The Exterminating <laughs> Angel is a movie that he made in 62 that is about a, uh, a like, high-class, high-society dinner party where all the people get there and then when the party's winding down they realize that for some reason none of them can leave the room. Mm. So they're all just like stuck in this place and they don't know why but like none of them can leave. And right. it just everything <laughs> just continues to deteriorate. <laughs> and I like uh, it. it's dude it's really good. Uh it's it's just a fucking excellent movie from front to back and like a lot of really really interesting stuff in there that he just he plays with perception so well, like in all of his movies, but this one really uh, solidified a lot of uh, tricks that he was developing um, okay. for kind of like, yeah, just playing with and 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 tweaking the audience's perception of things. You know, it's yeah, it's really really cool. Um, okay. So yeah, Thanks. great great movie. Um, like I said, I think you know it's it's definitely an art film, but I think it's also it's it's just very entertaining to watch as well. So again, I think this is yeah. another one that's a good, you know, bridge gapper uh, for people who might not <laughs> might not generally gravitate towards the the Criterion, you know, crowd. Uh, yeah. Um, next, I've got a Jean Luc Godard film on here, which uh, also from 1962. So, uh, uh, 1962 is a good good year, in my opinion. Cinema is one of the things I love about movies. And, you know, every art form really is like, but movies in particular seem to have this more so a little bit than, than others where it's, the whole medium is like a conversation with itself, you know? Okay. It's like, and, and that's something that, you know, you and I have talked about a lot that, you know, part of what gets us really interested in cinema history and stuff like that is, is kind of, you know, we see movies now and we're like, well, what movies were these guys watching when they were growing up and like starting to get interested in being filmmakers. And then you get introduced to this whole new breadth of movies, you know, wave of films from like 20 years ago. And then you look at those movies and you're like, well, what were these guys watching, you know? Yeah. Uh, And you know, what are they referencing? And then, you know, sort of harkening back to, and what kind of showed them the ropes. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, it's, it's really cool. And then the way that, you know, these filmmakers all sort of, cleverly reference each other or are, are clearly developing techniques that were built, you know, or um, developed to some degree by previous filmmakers that they felt like they had something to contribute to or like another step further they could take it. Yeah. Um, you know, that stuff all contributes to just like the the richer and deeper appreciation of the film medium and like, you know, what what's happening inside of a film, even inside of a scene or a shot, you know the French New Wave was all built upon people uh, in France that were film nuts and film critics that were watching, you know, the output of basically like film noir movies, like crime crime and genre pictures from like the 40s and 50s in America was when these guys okay. were coming up and, you know, starting to pay attention to film and, and write about it and think about it more critically. And, um, uh, you know, it was the, really the French guys that that noticed this and were like, hey, there's really this... You know, they developed what what is now well known as auteur theory, which is, you Mm -hmm. know, an auteur director is like it just that's just the French word for author. And all all it means is that, you know, a a director whose authorship you can see on any of one of their films, like when you watch a Mm -hmm. Quentin Tarantino movie. Nobody has to tell you it's a – you can watch it and be like, this is is probably a Tarantino movie, right? Yeah, Um, Or Wes Anderson, you know, or Martin Scorsese. Like, they they have very distinct styles as filmmakers. And this whole theory was developed by, yeah, this group of French people watching these American crime and genre pictures and kind of realizing that, like, that's what was happening. You started to see these, like, individual styles of filmmaking emerge rather than, you know – at that point, it was like the individual styles of films were the studio style. Like Paramount had a way of shooting and lighting things. And MGM right. had a way of shooting and lighting things. So it was like all the big movies that came out of those studios had that house style to them. Um, but they started to see in these people the emergence of individual style. And that was something yeah. that really excited them about filmmaking and where filmmaking could be taken. So that's then they started making films from that standpoint of like this isn't... This isn't like a piece of you know fluff entertainment to be, to make money on. This is like an individual artistic expression. But so anyway, the movie I chose here is a movie called "Vivre sa Vie," um, which is uh, translates to "My Life to Live." Um, okay. It is. Uh, I don't think I can't remember if this was his first movie with her, but uh, he had a long-standing uh, professional and personal relationship with this actress named Anna Karina. Um, and, uh, yeah, he was, you know, kind of her muse type of thing. Uh, you know, they did tons of movies together. They were lovers for a while. And, uh, you know, she was the star of like, you know, like seven of his movies in a row and shit. And, you know, they're just amazing. And it's crazy. You can tell like, you know, the way his camera treats her, it's like, you can tell he's like swooning over her, you know, like in these (laughs) movies and shit. And she's such a good actor too. Like, you know, she really does a lot and he's giving her these really cool roles and stuff. So it's, it's a great. Great collaborate, like all the movies they did together, are so good. But I, I really, really like this one a lot. Um, it's, uh, uh, it's about she plays an aspiring actress in Paris who ends up falling into prostitution. Okay. And um, you know that's that's really the story. <laughs> all right. Uh, it's but like I said, just it's just all these elements that that he pulls out of like you know out of life and and people's exploration of life and like France at the time. And cinema as, you know, just art and as entertainment and music and all of this stuff. It's like it all just turns into this big stew, um, okay. you know, that, that is all just happening kind of around this like theme uh, and and main kind of concept. I mean, you know, there's a real there's a real, you know, emotional trajectory to the story, as you might expect from from that kind of premise. Um, mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, and while that is not to be diminished in any way, it's great. And her performance of the character is really startling uh, in, in how complex and subtle and beautiful it is and emotional, but um, there's, you know, there's, there's so much like with the Godard movie, there's always three people in the room, you know, is, is I think the best way to put it, like there's, there's going to be two people in the scene, but like Jean-Luc Godard, the director Mm -hmm. always has a presence in the scene. You know, he like, he's not the type of guy who's trying to like get the suspension of disbelief or like, you forget you're watching a movie. Like, he wants you to be acutely aware at all fucking times that you're watching a movie, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And, um, and he makes the most of it. Um, so it's, it's cool. It's like that approach is really what freed him from a lot of the techniques that he rebelled against with breathless was everyone was trying to make it like invisible, you know? That you were okay. just so drawn into the story. And he was like, no, fuck that, man. Like, everybody knows there's someone back here calling the shots. So let's just let them call the fucking <laughs> shots. Like, yeah,
0: yeah, see yeah, what yeah. comes
1: out of it, you know? <laughs> um, uh, I, I also wanted to note, real quick, too, that uh, on Criterion, um, when they do physical releases, they also go out of their way to dig up a ton of um, archival or newly produced, uh, like special features. Um, where okay. those be like interviews with people involved, uh, um, archival TV programs, you know, like a talk show from France in the 1960s that Jean Luc Godard appeared on to talk about Viver Savvy. Boom. We got it, you know? Um, <laughs> all right. So, uh, they do a really nice thing on criterion channel where they, they have a lot of movies that are up there. It's just the film, but they also wow. do a lot of like full edition, uh, releases where it's like they put up their full Blu-ray release of this film. So they have the movie, plus they have all the special features for it. Nice. Um, And Viver Savi is one that they have the special features up there for. There's not a ton, but uh, there's a really nice film scholar discussion. You know, if if any of the stuff I've been talking about with the French new wave interests you, you know, it's a really in-depth talk from this uh, film scholar. I I don't remember his name, but uh, just talking about, you know, this movie, it's place in history. It's place in the French new wave movement. um, It's place in Jean-Luc Godard and Anna Karina's working relationship. Um, and personal relationship and just all that stuff and just, you know, all that great like historical context that just really kind of shows you, you know, what, what this movie was doing, that we, stuff we take for granted that happens in film now that this really like kind of carved the path for, um, yeah, that's right. great. And, uh, and also a really cool interview with Anna Karina from 1962, like right when they, I think from, uh, the set of the film when they were filming it.
0: So, oh, cool. Nice. Yeah. You know,
1: really, really cool time capsule piece. Um... Okay, I promise I don't have a ton of these because I know I'm going on at length, but... (laughs) um, (laughs) uh, Next one is another uh, French director, a uh, gentleman named Henri-Georges Clouseau. Um, It's a movie called Diabolique. Um, Okay,
0: I've heard of it.
1: Yeah, it's very... Yeah, pretty well known. Um, uh, I put this on here because, I mean, this is like... It's like... It's like the best Hitchcock movie that Hitchcock never made.
0: <laughs> okay. Um, nice. And actually, there's
1: a there's a really great story. This is another one that has uh, the full edition available on the Criterion Channel, so it's got all the special features. Sweet. Dude, the the behind the scenes stories about this movie are so good. Like this is you know it's a it's a thriller. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, about uh, I'll I'll give you the exact. <clears throat> I don't want to, I don't want to paraphrase and fuck up, you know, the, the setup for it, but, uh, uh, this thriller from Henri-Georges Clouseau, which shocked audiences in Europe and the U.S. is the story of two women, the fragile wife and the willful mistress, uh, of two women, the fragile wife and the willful mistress of the sadistic headmaster of a boys' boarding school who hatch a daring revenge plot. Um, yeah, that's basically the, you know, the setup for it, um, wife of this guy and mistress of this guy. Basically they both hate him and they team up to like, how can we get rid of this dude? Cause he's fucking awful. Okay. And okay. <laughs> yeah. And it's fucking awesome. It's like, you know, like nice. plot twist central. Like this is a movie, this, I mean, this is a straight up like thriller, you know, it's, it's so fucking okay. well done and has a lot of like really striking imagery, really like horrifying shit. Um, mm-hmm. and, uh, some, some really amazing fucking twists and shit and uh, great performances all around um yeah just so good so tense like so it just kind of keeps you guessing keeps you on the edge of your seat there's even at the end of the movie there's a final title card that says like do not tell anybody what happens at the end of this film um oh, because okay. yeah All we right, don't cool. we don't want like to ruin this for anyone and you shouldn't you know uh-huh. basically like don't ruin the experience you just had for anyone else like you know cause yeah. that, and it is it's true the ending is so fucking good man like i'd be pissed if somebody spoiled that sucks. shit for me yeah it's <laughs> Dude, it fucking rules. You're just like sitting there, and it's, it's great because the title card comes up while you're kind of still in shock,
0: you know. <laughs> nice. And then it's like, it's like, hey,
1: that feeling you're feeling right now, like don't fuck that up for anyone else, you know. <laughs> love it. I love and it. Um, yeah, it's super cool. But um, there's a there's this great story about um, you know Hitchcock because it's based on a book, and um, okay. and Hitchcock wanted the book, but uh, I guess Clouseau got it before him. Oh, and uh and he made this movie it was a huge hit it was like international like blockbuster um, yeah. people were losing their fucking minds over this movie and uh and man hitchcock was pissed. <laughs> <laughs> to the point that the guy who wrote the book um hitchcock bought his ne- the rights to his next book before he even wrote it Oh um, shit. Sure. Yeah, no, when, when he lost Diabolique, he he told he told the writer he was like, he didn't even know what the premise was going to be. He just said, Whatever you're writing next, I'm buying the rights for right now. And yeah. uh turned out to be Vertigo. So, you know, that, that worked out all right. Yeah.
0: <laughs> well, all right. There you yeah. go. Yeah. But
1: man, oh my god, it's so there's a special feature on here, uh, though, talking about how Psycho is basically Hitchcock's middle finger to Clouseau for taking Diabolique from him. Um, oh, shit. Yeah, because there's a, a, particularly the bathroom scene, like, mm-hmm. you know, the really famous, like, bathroom stabbing scene. Because there's a, a there's a very instrumental scene in Diabolique that takes place in a bathroom. Okay. And it's, it's one of those moments that, like, really, like, horrified people. And yeah. so the shower scene in Psycho is basically Hitchcock being like, oh, you thought that French guy knew how to fucking make a bathroom a scary place? Like... <laughs> Let me show you how it's really fucking done people.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: And man, it's so uh, there's even one of the special features is like a compare like side-by-side comparison of the two scenes. And oh, you can wow. t- it's dude, it's so funny. Like it's just Hitchcock like just fucking talking shit to this dude. Like this is before the era of Twitter <laughs> beefs. This was like you had to like hold this grudge oh for like God. 6 years and make a fucking movie <laughs> to like talk shit to another filmmaker.
0: <laughs> That's hilarious. Yeah.
1: But anyway, this is the type of stuff I'm talking about. This, like you know, this dialogue and conversation, like between films and <laughs> filmmakers. Like over time, it's uh, sometimes it's this literal even. But so yeah, next one uh, is so a few days ago was uh, Kira Kurosawa's birthday. Yes, or you know, would have been if he were still alive. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's he's easily the most well-known Japanese filmmaker. Uh, Seven Samurai, of course, would be the the movie that most people would know of his. And uh yeah, if you've never seen it, of course, highly fucking recommend that movie. That's a hell of a film. Um, but yeah, really, really massively important filmmaker, brilliant guy, uh, great storyteller. Um, interesting story about Kira Kurosawa, uh, not really f- that popular in Japan. Um really? Yeah, in Japan, they they thought they basically saw his films as kind of like selling out their culture. Um then because huh. he didn't make Japanese movies he made movies about stuff happening in Japan But they didn't have like yeah. a Japanese sensibility to them They had a much more like Western sensibility to like the storytelling and the structuring and you know he worked a, He adapted a lot of Shakespeare even um, yeah. Into like feudal Japan oh. like throne of blood is his version of Macbeth um, mm-hmm. uh, Which uh, uh, is it Ron is his version of King Lear Um okay. And yeah, he did. He did several other. I uh, forget which one was his uh, Hamlet, but um, but anyway, you know. So so really, in Japan, they saw him as as kind of like a Western filmmaker, you know, that was just dressing up Western stories in Eastern you know trappings, mm-hmm. and so you know thing though is like he was wildly famous everywhere else in the world so
0: yeah right
1: you know so so he you know did fine for himself um made tons of movies but uh but yeah interesting you know for being like the most well-known japanese filmmaker and and i get it too his movies do not feel like japanese movies Mm -hmm. um that's part of what makes him so accessible uh to to you know foreign audiences but you know you want to look at like real japanese filmmaking that's like yasuhiro ozu and like kenji mizuguchi um, these types of guys, they have this much more like, you know, just like Japanese culture itself. It's like, has this really, um, Japanese culture in a lot of ways is very like internalized, you know, like you keep it in, you don't like express yourself outwardly right, and right. like talk about your feelings, you know, and, and that's like reflected in, in the filmmaking and just the style as well has this like clean simplicity to it. Um, mm-hmm. you know, it doesn't do a lot to like play up the drama because they want that sort of like clean precision of everything. And, um, yeah, you know, Kurosawa does the opposite. He's like, fuck it. All right. We got a hundred samurais fighting. Fuck it. How about if it's raining the whole time? Let's do that. And let's put the camera yeah, right. on a fucking dolly, you know, and like all this type of shit. So he really, you know, played it up. But, um, anyway, um, the movie, this isn't even my favorite Kurosawa movie. I'd, I'd have a hard time pinning down, which is my favorite of his, to be honest. But, um, again, just in terms of making a, an accessible choice that might actually pique people, people's interest. Um, okay. Uh, I'm putting on here the Hidden Fortress, um, All right? Because this is the movie that very famously uh, George Lucas, in a lot of ways, adapted into the first Star Wars film. Um, oh, okay. Yeah, there's there's and and the, even um, on this. Uh, they have the full release of hidden fortress up on criterion channel. And, uh, one of the special features is an interview with George Lucas talking about his appreciation of the movie. All right. And, uh, you know, he was, open about this too. He's, this is yeah. not like a, some secret that he's like, no, there's some similarities, you know, but no, it's not, he was like, no man, i fucking, <laughs> I was like, I want to do that. Uh, but in space. <laughs> yes. So, um, so yeah, you know, it, it, it's interesting to see. So, um, you know, there's a lot of, it's It's fun to watch for people because you really see, you're like, oh my god, that's Princess Leia, and like, that's Han Solo, and even like, those two characters okay, are okay. definitely the C-3PO and R2-D2, you know, of course they're not robots in feudal Japan, but still, it's like yeah, that's right. clearly <laughs> who these two characters are and, um, so it's really interesting to watch because everyone has that cultural reference point of Star Wars, so it's like, you know it's easy to get a kick out of this and kind of be like, oh my god, wow, he really, yeah like, this is how a yeah. lot of a lot of creativity happens. It's not the, it's not the what it's the how, you know? And, uh, yeah. So is, I
0: figured, uh, is, is the guy, I don't mean to interrupt you. Is the guy no, that no. was like always in his movies, Mifune?
1: Toshiro Mafune.
0: Yeah. Is he in, is he in that one too or no?
1: Um, I think so. But I, if I remember right, it's a, it's a smaller part though. He's not the lead in it. Um, but I think he plays like some Shogun, um, I was just, I was looking at a Criterion channel, I thought I would say, but, um, yeah, I'm I'm pretty sure he has a small part in this, but I know he's not the main and not the lead. I,
0: uh, I, I bring him up because I, I'd like that you made this, this made this choice for, for this one, given the Star Wars reference, but, uh, I, I don't know what documentary I watched, but it was something that, uh, I think it was like George Lucas actually tried to get to Shihiro Mafune to be Obi-Wan Kenobi. In the uh, Star Wars movie,
1: <laughs> that's right. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. And I, uh, I think yeah, that's he plays a general. Where I first movie, heard right. that, that actor's name. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, that yeah, might no, have been where that... I first heard the actor's name is from learning about that original casting. You know, wish of him.
1: Yeah, dude, he's amazing. I mean, uh, yeah. Actually, I should look real quick if um if you want to get if you want to get introduced to some Mifune and, like, what what he do. <laughs> uh, man, Rashomon. Dude, dude, Rashomon. Uh, I don't know if they have it on Criterion Channel right now. Let's find out. Oh, shit, what up? Yeah, they do. Yeah, Rashomon. Uh, another yeah. Kurosawa movie. A uh, fucking phenomenal movie. Um, this is a movie, uh, it's... Uh, what was it? Uh, hero, um, that, the Chinese movie hero that like tells the same story, you know, the Jet Li one. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it tells the stories three different times from like three different perspectives, um, with like the different kind mm-hmm. of like, color palette accompanying each version. That is a, that is, that's Rashomon.
0: Oh, okay. Um, okay. Yeah. That
1: was a direct reference to this film, but, uh, yeah, gotcha. Rashomon is a, yeah, it takes place. Uh, you know, this, um, was it a woman is, uh, yeah, man, a uh, guy's murdered and his wife is raped, and four different people give their account of what happened. And, oh, um, okay. Yeah, it's uh, it's really, really phenomenal. Um, really, just tremendously brilliant movie. But Toshirô Mifune uh, in it is like, holy shit! Yeah, he really.
0: I mean, <laughs> Seven
1: Samurai is definitely like one of his standout performances as well. Um, but, uh, yeah, Rashomon is just like his, his range in it is really exceptional. And like, man, when he really goes like intense, it's, it's really something special. Nice. Um, yeah, but yeah, it's, it's for anybody who's, who's unfamiliar with Toshiro Mifune, uh, that would be a great one to start with. And also actually on, uh, starting April 1st, um, mm-hmm. they're doing, cause I think he would have been like a hundred this year. Oh shit! Uh, okay. Yeah, no. They're doing a they're doing a big Toshirō Mifune retrospective on Criterion Channel, so they're gonna have like like forty of his movies up there. Nice. Um, yeah, which I'm really really excited about because I'd like to see. I'm I'm really only familiar with his work with um, uh, with Kurosawa. Um, Kurosawa. Other than that, I think he was yeah. yeah he was in he was in one of the Zatoichi movies because um, they did okay. a they did a crossover uh, Zatoichi and Yojimbo. Um, okay. Cause yeah, Toshiro Mifune played the lead character in uh, Yojimbo and Sanjuro. Um, but yeah, you know, those movies were super popular, so they just did a crossover with Zatoichi. So he's in one of those. <laughs> um, and he, he, also has a, he has a brief part, actually this other, um, Chonbara film, uh, which is just Chanbara is just like basically samurai sword fighting movie. Um, okay. In, uh, in Japanese, but, uh, he was in this other excellent, uh, excellent Chenbara film called The Sword of Doom, uh, which mm. was directed by uh, Kihachi Okamoto and um, had this amazing dude. This uh, Toshiro Mifune has like a, a small part in it, but the lead in it, this guy Tatsuya Nakadai. Holy mm. fucking shit, dude. This is like <laughs> like it's it's a movie about like a samurai undergoing like a psychotic break. And oh, dude, it's so good. Like the way he just plays this guy's like fracturing psychology and how it just like drives him deeper and deeper into insanity is fucking oh. wild. Yeah. That's a That Crazy. is a hell. Yeah. It's a hell of a movie. Um, so, so anyway, well there's, yeah, there's several recommendations for you then. There you go. <laughs> um, yeah. And uh, okay. It's two left for now um next one uh movie we're, we're moving a little more content yeah hidden Fortress is 1958 um so i've been i've been hovering in this like 55 to 62 area for the past few recommendations but um okay <clears throat> going a little more contemporary with the next one uh i'm gonna throw out there the film in the mood for love yeah uh, i own which, this
0: one i own this one
1: yeah uh don't let the don't let the title fool you into thinking this is just some like sappy ass fucking like rom-com or some shit like this is one of it the ain't. most this is profoundly real right yeah profoundly <laughs> and achingly beautiful films ever fucking made in every regard possible um <laughs> this is a, a chinese film from the director Wong kar wai uh as i said yeah it came out in 2000 um this is another one they have the full uh criterion uh disc available on the channel. So okay. it's got all the special features which there's a ton of for this one since so this is more contemporary um you know they had access to a lot more stuff and you know digital cameras that were filming behind the scenes shit and shit like that. So uh really really there's a, there's a tremendous amount of material breaking down basically every element of the film from like acting to the score to the cinematography to the production design to the directing like you know, you can get real, real in-depth on this one. And it's a movie worth getting that in-depth on. Because it's like every moment yeah. of this film is just like a triumph. Um, But yeah, it's about these two couples that move into uh, apartments next door to each other on the same day at this building. Uh-huh. And um, after a while, the, the husband in one of the apartments and the wife in the uh, adjo- uh, neighboring apartment realize that they're find out that their spouses are having an affair with each other yeah um so yeah so the man's wife and the and the woman's husband are are having an affair with each other so they decide to see if they have their own kind of connection and i I don't it's just i don't want to like take it beyond that it's it's just no yeah I think that alone is enough of a a good premise, you know, to, to get people intrigued, but like, Oh my God, I've seen the movie and
0: I'm already like, damn, I got to watch this like soon now,
1: dude. Yeah. It's (laughs) the one thing, the one thing I find difficult to watch about this movie is like, it has the most beautiful and just sumptuous and delicious looking cigarette smoke. Of, oh
0: my god, yes, it does. Of
1: any movie like I can't every time I'm watching that movie, the whole movie, I'm just like, I just want a fucking cigarette so goddamn bad <laughs> right now. <laughs> like Um Yeah, the, the cinematography is is really like from another world. It's so good. Um it's this crazy Australian dude named Christopher Doyle that shot it. And um oh, yeah, okay. it's just man, his his ability to just like, I don't know, like like understand and communicate with the energy of like a place and a moment and, and just capture it through the camera in a way that like doesn't lose any of that in translation is it's just impeccable. Yeah. yeah. And uh the, the whole movie just like oozes with that feeling. Um It's yeah, it's fucking good. If you, it's like a, it's like a torch song as a movie, you know?
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: Like it's, it's just awesome. Um But yeah, it's, it's like, I don't know. It's like romance and the most like, beautiful longing than like real way possible. Um, and yeah. And just in a way that doesn't like cheapen the emotion or make it like chintzy or cheesy. It's just like, it just feels like honest and real and yeah. And just tremendous. Yeah. It's, it's really, this movie has like a real power that you just can't put your finger on. Like, as soon as you start watching it, you're just like hypnotized. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So fucking good. <laughs> But, uh, yeah, so there's that one. And then the last one I'm going to highlight today is a movie I've brought up several times, even on our very first episode of The Couch uh, podcast. Uh, It's a movie called Stalker. Um,
0: Ah, yes.
1: Yeah, uh, by the uh, famous uh, Soviet filmmaker Andrei Tarkovsky. Um, This is a film of his from 1979. And... uh,
0: Dabio. Yeah. This. Is. Oh. Oh. Yeah. Oh.
1: Sorry
0: about that. I think that. we're back. We're back. I think uh, we're back. Okay. No, sorry. No Go
1: ahead. But anyway, Stalker. I brought it up on our original episode in relation to the movie Annihilation, um, right? Which was what we talked about on our very first episode because uh, it was one of those movies that just really kind of shocked me. Um. And uh, yeah, because I was not expecting. I was not expecting to ever even see this movie based on the trailers. I was just wrote it I off know- immediately.
0: I don't bring you all winners, Dorian, but every <laughs> once in a great while, I can I can get you, and I feel yeah. good.
1: <laughs> yeah. yeah, you did. You got me on that one. Uh, no, Bobby like called me up after he saw it and was like, I'm taking you to see this movie. <laughs> I think you have no idea what it is, and I think it's like 100% up your alley.
0: Yeah. And I
1: walked out of it, and I was like, dude, this guy made a fucking Tarkovsky homage like on a big butt. <laughs> How the fuck do you yeah. get away with that? Um, yes. But yeah, it's... Uh, <laughs> Uh, so, yeah, Stalker uh, definitely was on uh, Alex Garland's reading list when, <laughs> you know, when he made Annihilation. Um, there are a lot of striking similarities. Also a lot of striking similarities to another Tarkovsky film, Solaris, um, which uh, is probably more well known than Stalker, um, partially because Steven Soderbergh did a just god awful remake of it uh, in the like early 2000s with uh, George Clooney. That, I think even Soderbergh like dis- has disowned it. He was like, I I don't, I just I wasn't there for that one. You know, like <laughs> 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 kind of blew it there. Um, but uh, but yeah, the original Tarkovsky Solaris is is truly remarkable. Like all of his films are. But um, you know, Annihilation struck me as a a sort of like you know an homage piece, like a, a real. Uh, kind of love letter to Stalker and Solaris. And I, I just, that made me, immediately endeared me to the film. Because um, on top of it, I thought he did a pretty good job of it. <laughs> and of, uh, yeah. you know, spin, spinning it into his own story and like its own unique, you know, uh, identity and everything, but still retaining a, a very clear communication that, um, you know, this is this is where this is coming from. And uh, um, this movie in particular, Stalker, uh, it's, so it's, it's, at its, at its core, it's a science fiction film. It's actually even adapted from a science fiction novel called uh, Roadside okay. Picnic, uh, which is written by these uh, Russian science fiction uh, writers, Arkady and Boris Trugatsky. Um And the book itself is excellent. It's all about uh, this basically like all of a sudden in the world, there's this area where there's all this alien shit just like kind of appears there. And sounds
0: sounds familiar. Sounds very familiar.
1: And, uh, (laughs) and, and then they start discovering that anybody who goes into this area where all this alien shit is like starts developing these like really weird issues or doesn't come out alive or anything. And so it's, you know, it's like, is it radiated? They're kind of like trying to figure out what the fuck it is, but they don't really know. Um, but you know, they, they start to discover things that like, if you limit your exposure only go in for a certain amount of time, like you can, you can survive and things like that. So, you know, people start okay. trying to people start trying to to scavenge this area. They call it the zone, and right, um, right. you know, so so these like bold uh, what they call stalkers, like the uh, you know that are that are like guides that bring people into this place because they've gone through and they've tried to sort of map out some of its more um, intangible secrets and uh, traps and whatnot. You know, there's all sorts of very like existential problems that you'll (laughs) run into here more so than just like, Oh, this thing's going to jump out and bite you or whatever. It's no more like, you know, like in annihilation even it's like,
0: yeah, right. No,
1: if you step foot in here, it's going to, you know, alter your perception of reality to the point that you won't want to live in a world where you're not a plant anymore, you know, or like whatever shit like that. Yeah,
0: Right. Exactly. Um, Yeah.
1: So, you know, it's, it's much more on like that kind of plane that these things exist. Again, it's, it's something alien that we're dealing with here that we can't understand on our terms of, of existence on earth. You know, it's just something different than that. Yeah. Um, so, so anyway, in the, you know, in the book, this is like, the reason the book is called roadside picnic is because kind of what they end up discovering is that like, this is all like fucking junk left by a bunch of aliens that passed through. Like, <laughs> okay. you know, in in a sen- essentially like it was like a bunch of aliens had a roadside picnic and they left all their trash here and now we're for like decades uh. are sorting through it and trying to figure out what the fuck it is. It's all garbage. You know. And uh you know, it's it's at least that's like one person's theory, you know, of, of what yeah. really really transpired here and what what created the zone and why this shit is here. Um but uh so you know, he <laughs> Uh, Tarkovsky adapts it into a much more, um, spiritual and metaphysical exploration of the nature okay. of existence and, uh, and all this, like, like, as he always does with all of his movies, he has a very, he had a very deep obsession with that stuff. Um, and, uh, and again, I, you know, he does explore a lot of themes and imagery related to religion. Um, which I, I understand can okay. be off pitting for some people. I'm not particularly religious myself, um, so I generally don't gravitate towards that type of stuff, but he really he he brings that stuff to the table with not only a a uh, a, a real uh, strong degree of questioning. He was never really happy okay. with he he seemed like one of these people that was never really happy saying he knew anything. You know, he had beliefs that okay. guided him in certain directions, but he was always questioning things. Um, yeah, so yeah. the way that he presents religion, uh, you know, in this, it's, it's more in the realm of spirituality. Um, while there are definitely things that, that uh, you know, bring us into more specific uh, religious iconography that would then connote, you know, certain religions that being discussed here. And of course, you know, he was, he was raised like Russian Orthodox. So that's, you know, oh, yeah. okay. going to play a big part into where he's coming from with all of this. But... The way that he couches right, it in right. like science fiction and the unknown just gives it this like such a larger component, you know, than just sort of like life on Earth. It's all about like mm-hmm. you know the the outer realms and like questioning whether whether the spiritual and things like that might not be one and the same as like you know the 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 alien and the unknown. Um, okay. And he really takes us into those realms and just you know. It's also just one of these guys. Like, just the 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 poetry and visual crafting of his movies is just like second. There's nobody else who's ever made movies like him. Yeah, um, yeah. there's there's something about it again that just like pulls you in. The way that he just like sees, the way that he envisions scenes, and uh, you know what he chooses to show you, and the way that he presents them man they're just every single one you're just you're just fucking floored by it like it's Mm -hmm. there's such a there's such a precision and an artistry to it all that is like so wild but also just not you know it's not always just about being clean it's always about like being poetic and sometimes that's a little dirtier but like he always crafts it in a way that's just like I mean I've seen some clean shop makers in my life you know I love me some fucking Mm -hmm. David Fincher but like man nobody can hold a candle to the level of just oomph that he puts into his shots (laughs) you know like it's man it's fucking mind-blowing and his endings he's got some of the best endings in cinema history like he really like man just every one of his movies I feel like he just recontextualizes the entire thing with like a single shot at the end of the film you know where you're just like I've spent like you know his movies are long too and they're and they aren't and, and they are yeah. fucking slow. I will tell you, like, you know, Stalker, Stalker's like two hours and 40 minutes. It feels like a full day. You know, it's it's not like a breezy, <laughs> it's it's not like yeah. watching Once Upon a Time in Hollywood where you're like, oh my God, it's almost over already. Like, Stalker, you're going to yeah, feel right. every fucking minute of this movie. Um, so I, I will admit, you got to be in a mood to watch one of his movies because it's really, really dense. Mm-hmm. Um, really, it's going to take a long time, it's not going to be in any fucking rush to get anywhere um, but man, it is just going to blow you and that's part of what it, you know, it's its so rich with subtext and symbolism and, and just you know, artistry that it's like, it, I'm thankful when I watch his movies that he allows me the amount of time to like uh, ponder you know what he's putting in front of me you know it's a very pensive yeah. experience because there's just so much there that if it, if the pace were any faster I'd feel like it was just blowing by without me giving me the time to really properly consider and unpack what's there Um, and so he does a great job of that and just you know just with using textures of, of you know visual textures and audio textures and all these things to like really give it this life outside of the frame and like in the room that you're watching it in, it's, is, you know, just really impressive stuff that again, I've seen other people do similar things that just somehow didn't have the impact that it did when he did it. And, mm-hmm. you know, okay. I can't, can't totally put my finger on what he's doing so differently. There's just some about his eye and his sensibility that just like leads him in the right direction. Um, nice. And nice. Uh, yeah, it's really amazing to watch. And then, so yeah, so anyway, you'll spend like two and a half hours watching this movie, having all this really pensive experience feeling like you're extracting so much out of it and like, you know, getting what he's putting down and then all of a sudden he throws this final shot at you and you're like, I have to sit here for like another two hours by myself now to just like (laughs) trace back how this changes fucking everything that I just saw, you know? Right. Um, And like in a fascinating way that, that makes things even, you know, even, even deeper and even more intriguing or more interesting as, you know, as, uh, as messages or as ideas or, you know, as just, you know, what he's saying. So, yeah, uh, tremendously amazing film. That would that's probably the most inaccessible movie on my list that I put together here is Stalker. Okay, like, like man, that dude it is that is not for everyone. Um, but I'm you gotta telling, have you, it's one of those things. on the list. Yeah, absolutely. Like this is <laughs> this is fucking art film. Yeah. <laughs> and if you're not here to art with me, then go fuck yourself. Yeah. You know, like. <laughs> Um, that that kind of movie. So uh, so yeah. It, but it's one of those things, man. That like if if you've never been exposed to this thing, you find out like that's kind of something you're into. Like fuck, you're gonna be real goddamn into this movie. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's 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 top notch art film. So.
0: Nice. nice. So yeah. I like the list. Yeah. I like the so list. That's,
1: so that's my list for now. All right. Yeah. I decided to leave it there. Just
0: at some point, I was gonna be like, okay, pause, so I can go grab my wallet and actually sign up for the free trial that leads me into the monthly. But that will be happening today. Yeah, yes. buddy,
1: that's what I'm talking about. Yeah, love it, love to hear it. I'm
0: definitely gonna, I'm definitely gonna do that today. I feel like, I, I feel like with the, with the quarantine, like, yeah, don't get me wrong, like Vin Diesel's bloodshot is still gonna happen. Oh but, yeah <laughs> but uh I definitely really need to be taken <clears throat> to some other places, yeah, and you know, like just uh I was looking up some of the movies as you were talking about them on criterion channel dot com and stuff like that, and even just looking at like some like the image that's associated with the with the uh synopsis of the movie, I was like. Yeah, I just want to watch something like this. I just want to watch a silent movie. I just haven't watched one in a long fucking time, you know? Yeah, like, man. Just shit like that. So,
1: um. No, you need that shit in your diet.
0: Yeah. I, I guess I never, I never think about how much, uh, uh. Well, now I will with having a subscription, is, uh, how much I need, like, a. Uh, that visual storytelling just to slap me in the face more than just, like, dialogue or and everything, you know? Mm hmm. So. Like that's kind of what I'm looking to see now. is just like imagery. I just want to like feel that now. Yeah.
1: Oh yeah, man. This is this is we we got your back. Um, and also, uh, also on Criterion Channel is a little movie known as Twin Peaks: Fire Walk with me. So when you finish oh, season oh, so I'll be two, able to do that. So when you finish season two, you'll be able to watch that. So true. Sweet. Yeah.
0: Awesome. Yeah. I totally. I forgot that that was a Criterion release. <laughs> goddamn right. Yeah. It's yeah. A
1: fucking. They did a great great beautiful restoration also supervised by lynch so nice uh, is the whole whole thing on there or no what's that is like the whole whole release Uh, on there yeah actually it looks like it is
0: is it okay cool yeah um well yeah dorian thank you for putting together your lists both of them oh yeah no my pleasure you definitely had a bit more heavy lifting than i did with the with just the shutter one but
1: uh he's like do this shit all fucking day baby
0: yeah um (laughs) Um, I'm happy, I'm happy that I'm going to watch something on Shudder tonight and I'm also now going to be, uh, part of that Criterion Collection crew. Yeah, watching man. Some, watching some shit.
1: Um, I can't wait to hear what you check out. I'm I'm telling I you, know. man, just like, just go on there and just, I don't know, just vibe it out, man.
0: I know. Just that's like, kind of what I want to do. I just want to like press play on something and be like, yeah. let's
1: see what happens. <laughs> Dude, do it. It's, it's well worth your while. It's like, there's some exciting shit to be just waiting to be discovered by you, Bobby.
0: I know. I'm excited. Yeah. Uh, well, thanks, everybody, for listening to yeah. episode uh, 84 or 85, depending on yeah, which depending one you're on into right now. Yeah. And uh, I'm sure we'll be back next week with something. Don't know yet.
1: Yeah, we'll figure we'll figure some shit out. I was thinking uh, it might be kind of interesting if we... Maybe if we did... Uh, well, no, you're about to get into Criterion Channel, so I don't want to burden you with this. Maybe on a future week. Um, mm-hmm. I was thinking it might be interesting to uh, each of us do a free trial on a service that we don't actually currently subscribe to and check it out and see what's, Oh, if it's worth recommending, you know, I'm,
0: do- I'm done. I'm down with that. That's a good yeah. idea. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It could be kind of fun. So I
0: like that. Okay. I like that idea. Thanks for listening. Dorian again. Thank you for doing this.
1: Yeah, no, my pleasure, man. Thank you as always as well. And, uh, sure. yeah, we'll talk to you again soon.